going to be sharing a word about being redeemed. I love the word redeemed. Say the word, say it, redeemed. I love the word redeemed. I had to, got to get, a, I had to order a new license plate for my car this week, and I wanted to get the word redeemed. The only problem is that's one of the words I want it, I want to put on my license plate. I think it's just such a cool word. And revelation, you know, each of us has different things that we get revelation of. That word there has been one of my greatest revelations in the past two years, I'd say. How what we are is the redeemed, amen? What Jesus has done for us and being redeemed through the blood of Jesus. Come on. So I wanted to put that on my license plate. I didn't because of the price, $48 extra over and above all that. And so because of how much it was, so maybe next year we'll see what happens. But she wants it on her vehicle. So anyway. So I'll have to be blessed if I can afford her redeemed. <laughs> Amen. Amen. But redeemed through the great exchange. The great exchange of what Jesus has done for us. How we are redeemed through the exchange of what we deserved, what Jesus did, and what we got in turn instead of what we deserved. Amen. What we deserved was judgment for sin. Judgment for sin. 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, yes, I know that this is a scripture that we use for partaking of communion. I did a message on this um, back in, I believe it was the end of 2011, and I felt like the Spirit of God wanted me to recap on some of the meaning of what communion is. I hit on it a little bit here and there whenever we partake of communion um, on the Sundays here that we do that, but I wanted to re-clarify because many times we've had wrong beliefs about what communion is, Amen. Well, I guess you'll find out. Amen. So the truth of the matter of what communion is, you know, many times we have these beliefs that communion is for whenever you're in church. Communion is something not to be taken lightly. It is a very serious, only, only to be given by your, your minister, your pastor, your preacher. And so, priest, yeah. I mean, so it, there's a lot of, you know, Things that we've had as understandings, but yet it does not connect, as I've read and as I've studied this, it does not connect with what the Word of God says about it. So verse 25, it says, In the same manner he also took the cup. So first he took the bread, and then he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the, what? New covenant in my blood. This do, what? As often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So he said, as often. I love this because this is a picture. He did, It's not something that you just take whenever you're here and it's going to be served. He wants us to partake of it as often as we are in need of it. As often as we partake of communion, do this thing. And so he wants us to catch something here. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, so as often as you take communion, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. As often as you take communion, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. As often. Every time we do it, we proclaim the Lord's death. Well, what is the Lord's death? Why did he emphasize that? His death. 
Because when he died, it made everything different. Everything changed for us. Because all of our sin was put upon Jesus' body at the cross. He took every part upon the cross. And so it's critical for us to understand this. Verse 27, it says, examine yourself. Now, this is the part where it usually gets pretty serious in a, in a service when they're preaching on this or preparing for communion. It says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Stop there. It's interesting because many times this is the point where the service will become as severe and serious as it can possibly be. Because none of us wants to partake of judgment or partake of it in a wrong way, correct? It says not to partake of it in an unworthy manner. We'll be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So what is this unworthy manner that we need to be aware of because it's a very serious thing? Many of us have been told... I'll get into that here in just a moment. I apologize. Let's read on to verse 28. It says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. So we're supposed to examine ourselves. Of what? Here we'll go on to the next verse. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Stop right there. This is the critical part that we need to understand. The unworthy manner in which we partake of communion, that it says we're supposed to examine ourselves to make sure we're taking it in a disworthy manner, is talking about examining that we are knowing what it represents. Discerning the Lord's body. Discerning, knowing what it truly means. What did Jesus' body being broken truly mean for us? I love this verse in the Amplified. It brings it out even more. For those of you who want to see it this way, I love breaking it down in the Amplified. If you can use the Amplified in your devotional time, you will be blessed. It's an amazing thing because it breaks it down and oftentimes gives the broken up additives are very much in connection with the Greek and Hebrew meanings of these words. And so you get a concordance broken down into your own Bible, and it's a really great fashion to do it. So, verse 29, it says in the Amplified, For anyone who eats and drinks without discriminating and recognizing with due appreciation that it is Christ's body, with due appreciation, recognizing with due appreciation that it is Christ's body. In other words, taking, when we partake of this cracker, I'm going to get one right here. When we partake of these two items, it's not taking it lightly and just saying, well, that was good. I had a little bit more of a thirst, and boy, that was good, but I had a little bit more of a hunger. It's just a little too small. Come on. But realizing the truth of what it really represents, the Lord's body. Now, what does it really represent? When he says, examine yourself, it wasn't examining yourself for sin. Many times we'll say, we're going to stop. And before we partake of communion, I want to have you stop and I want you to examine yourself. And the place gets quiet and everybody closes their eyes and they all sit there. And you know, 90% of the people are sitting there repenting of every sin that they can come to their mind of. Come on. That's not the examining of yourself that it's talking about here. It's examining yourself to make sure that you know what it truly represents. 
It's critical that we know what it represents. It was to check our hearts to recognize and appreciate the fullness of what Christ has accomplished for us. Recognizing what he had accomplished for us. Having a true appreciation. Jesus took the full payment for sin on the, at the cross. So when he said to examine yourself, how could he be saying to examine for sin when he'd already taken the full brunt of sin? Sin was already wiped clean. Come on. So how could he be saying examine yourself for sin? It wasn't talking about that. Today, the only judgment for us as believers is if we reject what Christ has accomplished for us is the rejecting of what Christ has done. So that's why he says, brings us back to the point of examine yourself that you know what it truly represents. Reminding us of his death, burial, and resurrection of what he's done for us. Amen? Amen. Catch the verse 30 then at the very end of it. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Now this is an interesting verse because it says weak and sick among you. Why are they weak? Because they're not discerning what the Lord's body represents. So that means as we partake of communion, when we discern what it represents, we should not expect to remain sick, weak, feeble, and going to sleep. (laughs) Nobody's sleeping here today. That word sleep does not actually mean sleep. As we look into it, as you look into that word sleep, it actually means to to be falling asleep or to die, death coming early to us as believers. As we partake of communion, we are partaking of the death, burial, and resurrection, the fullness. Look at that verse in the Amplified, just to break it down a little bit more. Verse 30 in the Amplified, that careless and unworthy participation of communion is the reason many of you are weak and sickly, and quite enough of you have fallen into the sleep of what? Death. Early death. Because we're not partaking of communion and the fullness and understanding what it represents. Or maybe we're, we're so, how many of you have ever went to a, to a service and they were serving communion, but by the time the guy was done speaking, you were so sure that you were unworthy of taking communion that you passed. I, who was it that we were talking to? I don't, never mind, forget that question. There was a person we were talking to that said that there was many times that it was that they had sat in a service and they were the only one that partook of communion. It passed by every single person. They were visiting this church. Every single person in the entire church passed on communion. But he didn't know, so he took it. And everybody just sort of looked at him. But the fact fact of the matter is that they had been so taught that you had to examine yourself and that you were so unworthy that you never could partake. Missing out on what it says right here, the fullness of being healed, the health, the wholeness, missing out on uh, the healing of not being weak and dying at early age. Come on. It's the participation in the, in the communion and what it truly represents, knowing what it represents for us today. Amen? What Jesus has accomplished for us. Come on. This is good. We are accomplishing something every time we partake. Not accomplishing something. We are receiving something every time we partake. We're receiving the fullness of who Jesus is because we know what it represents. I used to not let my children take communion. 
until they were of age where they had received Jesus as their Lord and Savior and they understood what that all meant. No, I, you know what? I want them to partake and continue to hear what the fullness of the blood and what the fullness of his body being beaten. I used to always just lump the whole thing together, not understanding that there was a difference between what the cracker represented, his body being broken, the bruises, the lashing, the beating that he took upon his body represents something for us. It wasn't just him dying, but the beating, his body was broken for ours to be made whole. Isaiah 54, I don't have this verse, but it talks about by his stripes. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was crushed and bruised. And by his stripes, his beating, we are healed. So his body, this cracker, when we partake of it, seeing it and knowing what it truly represents, we are partaking of healing in our bodies, life to our bodies. Amen? Expect it. Expect healing. Expect the, the, the rejuvenation of life of God to be released into us as we partake of it. Every time when I get a new revelation of what communion is, I begin to take it more often. Whenever you're in need of healing, whenever you get sick, whenever you start having allergies, whenever you start having your body is attacked, or even not even sick, let's say you're just feeling weak. Come on. Partake of communion. The life of God is given in that situation. The life of God is released in communion because we're identifying with what Jesus did for us. Jesus did what? He broke the curse. Curse was brought in through what? The sin of Adam. And so, therefore, we're breaking the curse of sin. When did man have to begin to toil and work for anything? When sin entered the world. Up until that point, everything was provided. It was easy. It was nice. And at that point, the curse was put upon man. What did Jesus do? He broke the curse. So, therefore, we can expect the fullness of what... We, we don't know what it was like for Adam and Eve in the garden, but we can walk in the fullness of that through partaking of what Jesus has accomplished for us. That curse was broken for us as we receive the fullness of Jesus. Amen. As we partake of communion, it is not just a ritual. It is a dynamic time of receiving all that Jesus suffered to give us. Receiving everything that he suffered to give us. The fullness of what he has done for us. God wants us to make, wants us to make use of Jesus' suffering. I know that sounds bad because we're saying we're going to use Jesus, but that is the purpose and why he did it. I love how Aaron brought out the point this morning. He came to serve. He came to give life. He came to give. He didn't come for us to only to, to, to serve him, but he came to give life. And so therefore, God wants us to use Jesus' suffering. Don't let it be in vain. What Jesus accomplished was for us to benefit. Come on. What Jesus did at the cross was for us to benefit. His beating was for us. That's why every time when I see that, I, f I, I have this new overwhelming love I feel whenever I see like the movie Passion because I get a new revelation of how much he loves us. When he was doing, taking that beating, it wasn't just a needless beating. It was for me and for you to walk in the fullness of health and healing in our bodies. Amen? Come on, this is good. You're receiving the fullness of what God has for us. He suffered so that we might be free. 
that we might be whole, that we might be healed. Come on, today he suffered so that we could be free from everything that holds us back, free from every addiction, so we could be healed, so we could be walking the wholeness and the fullness of what God has for us. When we partake of the cup of the new covenant, you know, this juice, it represents the new covenant. The reason we drink of the cup, the new covenant of his blood, is because it contains salvation, forgiveness of sins, divine protection, health, healing, well-being, divine favor with God. When we partake of this, it represents the new covenant of everything that Jesus did for us. The new covenant is so much better than the old. The old covenant, we were under a curse. Now, if you want to go back to the old covenant, you sure can, but none of you have done that, obviously. I don't see any blood on your hands. None of you have been arrested for having all these animals that you've slaughtered because that's what the atonement was. You had to have animals to be sacrificed. There had to be blood shed. And when those, the, the blood of the animals was shed, it was good for one year. That's it. Jesus' blood was sufficient to cover forever. Amen? And that's why the new covenant is so much better. The curse is broken. The blessings are for us. Amen? Today, through the blood of Jesus. We drink of all the good things in the cup because Jesus took our cup. Come on. Jesus took our cup. Our sin. He took our cup, and he didn't just take our cup. He took every single drop. Many of us, I believe, think that Jesus took, well, some of it or most of it. He didn't just take part of it. He took every single drop of our cup so that we could receive every single drop of the cup of Jesus, of what he has done for us, the fullness of what he has done for us. He took every bit of it. He took every drink, he drank our cup of sin that we might, that we were supposed to drink, amen, and every last drop and cried, it is finished. When he cried, it is finished, he knew that he had partaken every single drop of our cup of sin that we had, should have partaken of, judgment for. God does, God does not move on our behalf based upon his moods. Come on. How many of you know many times we are moody people, and so we think God must be probably also. We come to God, and we ask him for something. We ask him for favor. We ask him for healing. We ask him to be our supply. We ask him to bring healing in our relationships, our finances, our bodies, and we think, well, okay, God, what kind of mood are you in today? Are you going to heal me, or are you not going to heal me? Because instead of believing that it's his desire and he wants to, regardless of whether you see it in the natural right now or not, we think, well, he must be moody, and we just aren't seeing it, he's not going to because he doesn't feel like it today. Come on. We're moody, and so we think God must be also. How many of you ever thought that? Was God going to be in a good mood today? How many of you ever remember going to your parent and remember thinking, I want to wait till the right moment when they're in their good mood, good attitude, before I ask them for this or that? God's not moody. Come on. God's not moody, and we don't have to look to him to, to, to be at the right time or the right place to be able to ask God for something. The reason he will heal you anytime, every time, wherever and whenever is because of the perfect work of his son Jesus. It's not because of you. It's not because of anything you can do. It's because of Jesus. So this is the great exchange. 
Jesus sets us at the highest place in regard to him healing us, walking in the wholeness of who God is, to be able to expect him to be able to do whatever we're in need of, to answer when we're in need. Amen? Communion is a means of releasing our faith in what has already been done through Jesus. Communion is a means of releasing our faith. Every time you partake of communion, you can partake of it and go, yeah, this is the body, this is the, this is the juice, this is blood. Or we can operate in faith and activate our faith to believe that it had substantial meaning and it's going to change something in my body. It's going to change something in my life. This is going to mean something. And that's what it was talking about. When we partake of it, not to just take lightly in an unworthy manner. Unworthy manner is to to not regard what it truly meant. What Jesus really did. You see, what Jesus did was free, but it cost a great price. And because it was free, he knew that we would probably take the free thing pretty lightly. How many of you know whenever I always tell my kids that it's better for them to have to save up for a bike rather than just give them a bike. Because the bike that's given doesn't get taken care of near as much as if they save up for the bike. Come on. We all know the thing that's given free oftentimes is taken lightly and it doesn't have near as much... Oh, I spilled the communion. Oh, well. It doesn't have near as much meaning. Can I get a napkin? or? <laughs> but you know what? It's interesting because the thing that's free is oftentimes taken lightly. And so God knew that we need to be aware, and when we partake of it, to remember the fullness of the cost of what it, what it t- took to, to, to wash our sins away. Come on. I found it interesting when I uh, look at that story of the Passover. They were to take and have a lamb in their home to find a spotless lamb. This is in Exodus chapter 12. You can read it for yourself. But they were to find a spotless lamb, and they were to have it in their home for five days. Very good. Wow, this is, I'm, I may get in trouble now. See if it, you can find the part where it talks about for, uh, for five days. They were to have it in their home for five days. Can you imagine how the family would be connected with this little baby young lamb? The connection that would be there. And then now to see that lamb be slaughtered and the blood to be put upon the doorposts. Come on. Why was it to be there for five days? Because it was to have a true representation. There's nobody in that home that would not be connected to that baby lamb at that point. And to know the true cost of what the atonement was. Come on. You see the picture. He wanted it to be something that was real to us. It cost something. It cost Jesus his life. It cost God his, his, his one and only son. It was not free. I mean, it was not cheap. It was free, but it was not cheap. I felt led to go to this point and to, uh, to share on this because I believe that even as we partake of communion, I want us to know the fullness of what communion truly represents whenever we partake of it. And as I'm going to be going just a little bit of a different direction here, but it still continues to connect to what the communion of what God has given us. But many of us know, um, does anybody know, (laughs) this is bad that I asked this question after I had it wrong earlier, huh? (laughs) Does anybody know what Exodus 20 is about? Anybody? 
the Ten Commandments. <laughs> I'm glad the rest of you all didn't answer. <laughs> Way to go! <laughs> so, you know what? Exodus 20 is about the Ten Commandments. But it's very interesting because after the Ten Commandments were given, the very next chapter... Don't don't laugh too hard, Brian. I had my chapters wrong. I had it I had it backwards, and I had it chapter 22 instead of 21. Anyway, the very next chapter is a chapter about the law concerning servants. It talks about the law concerning servants, and I want to look at this in uh, chapter 21, Exodus 21, verses 1 through 6. And I want you to connect the dots here and and to see what this this picture that it draws here. Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. He's talking about the, the children of Israel. If you, if you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. So if you hire a Hebrew servant, he shall serve you so long, and then he shall go free. Okay, verse 3. And, I'm sorry, if he comes in by himself... He shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. So if he comes in unmarried, and the master gives him a wife, and he bears children, he still can go free after the time is allotted to him. But his wife and children are still the masters. Get the picture here. But if the servant plainly says, catch this, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or the doorposts, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him, how long? Forever. Now there's a picture here of what this servant was. What kind of servant would say that they love their master first before their wife and children? Come on, think about that for a moment. What kind of servant He's talking about a servant that would choose to stay with his master and stay a servant forever because he loves his master and he loves his wife and his children. But there's a picture here that is drawn. Obviously, the Holy Spirit had somebody in mind. So who do you think this perfect servant was? Come on. You guys are so smart. This was talking about Jesus. Right after the Ten Commandments, God knew that man could not... Right after the Ten Commandments, God knew that man could not keep. The next thing he talked about was the perfect servant. Who was that perfect servant? It was Jesus. In Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, it talks about how Jesus chose to remain a servant. He says, who being, and this is when he was in the garden, he's praying, and he's praying that God would take this cup from him. He was at the point where he knew what, his, what, what was about to happen. Verse 6, Hebrews 2, verse 6, it says, who being in the form of God did not, okay, so I'm sorry, I apologize, it's the wrong verse here. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a what? bondservant, and coming into the likeness of man, 
and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So we see here that Jesus was that servant. Jesus took that place of that servant who chose to take the very nature of that servant to serve. So how did Jesus choose to be that servant? Jesus was the perfect servant who was pierced for you and I. This is, this is it here. In Luke chapter 22, I want to look at in verse 41 through 44, and it says, And he withdrew, this is when he was in the garden, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from, from me, yet not my will, but always yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him in spirit, and being in an in an agony of mind, he prayed all the more earnestly and intently, and his sweat became like great clots of blood dropping down upon the ground. Jesus is that servant who chose, he said, I love my master, and I love my wife, and I love my children. You know what we are? We're the bride of Christ. We are that wife and that children that he loved so much that he chose to remain a servant. He said, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. In other words, in the end, he asked, God, please take this from me. But he said, if you don't, not my will, but your will be done. I choose to do what your will is. And he chose to remain the servant and to be pierced. Jesus was that perfect servant who said, I love my master, my wife, and my children. He chose to not go free. You realize he could have went free. In that moment, he could have went free. At any moment, he could have said, God, I can't, Father, I can't do this. I can't do it. And God would have taken him back. But he chose to remain but chose to remain a servant, pierced for you and I. For how long does it say? Notice this in Exodus 22, verse 6. It says, Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door and to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with the awl, and he shall serve him forever. Jesus is serving us forever. Catch that. He is what? Serve us. He will serve him forever. So what do you think? And I want you to think about this for a moment. What do you think after this servant had chosen this, chosen to remain a servant forever? He had his wife and his children, and he said, I'm choosing to remain a servant forever. Can you imagine several years later as he's laying in bed with his wife his wife looking over at him, what do you think she was thinking as she looked over her husband who had this now pierced ear? What do you think she is thinking? That he chose, could be a free man. But as she looks at him laying next to him, laying next to him with this mark on his ear that now says that he is a servant forever, how do you think she looks at him now? His love is so great. Now I know he loves me more than anything else. He gave up everything, his freedom. This is how we see Jesus. Jesus took the piercing, 
He chose to remain our servant forever to save us. And now we look at him not with a, well, it's Jesus, you know. No, but every time we see him, we see the markings. We Every time we remember in communion what he has done for us, this is exactly how I feel when I partake of communion. I'm reminded, I'm looking at that piercing in his ear, the hands, the piercing that he took upon his hands, and I'm seeing his love that he chose for us. His love that he chose for us over everything else. He could have went free, but he chose to be a servant. He chose to serve us. Amen? How and where, it's very interesting because it brings out how and where will the master pierce his ear. Look, read verse 6 again. Exodus 22, verse 6. Got that? You guys are doing a great job. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the, to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl. Now, this is a pretty gruesome um, picture here that we, it draws. But they took him to, why did he not take it to just any doorpost? But he took him to the doorpost of the, of the door of the house. And they put it upon the wood. And they put an awl through it. Now, you know, it, it was, I'm sure, you know, it doesn't say how big it was or anything like that. But the picture here is, I'm sorry, the picture here is that they took an awl and pierced the ear. But it's interesting that they put it up on the doorposts. Where's the blood left? On the doorposts. Where's the other picture that we've seen that blood is applied to the doorposts? The Passover. There again, another picture of what he represents this master, I mean, this, this servant, of what he represents. The first Passover in Exodus 12. Jesus wants to serve us today. Jesus wants to serve us today. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 37, it says, Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say, now this is speaking futuristically. Blessed is the one who finds, he's talking about us, who finds us, what? Watching, watching, watching for Jesus, watching to see Jesus. Are you looking to see Jesus today? Do you look to see Jesus? Do you seek to see Jesus when you read the word? Do you seek to see Jesus? It says, blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching, seeking to see Jesus. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself, gird himself, and have them sit down to eat, and will come and what? Serve them. He's talking about us today. He's still looking to serve us as his children. He's still today. That wasn't just speaking back then. It is speaking even today. He is looking to serve us what he paid at the cross. He wants to serve us Here he is talking about the future. Today he is resurrected and glorious, but he still wants to serve us. You are the object of his love. If I had mirrors here, I would have you look into a mirror. I'd love to do that someday if I was doing his teaching again. Have little mirrors that everybody could take a look at. I want you to look at yourself. You are the object of his love. If Jesus had a refrigerator, your picture would be all over the fridge. Come on. Your drawings, the things that you've done, who you are would be all over it. You are the object of his love. And a loving heart 
only finds fulfillment in serving the one he loves. Come on. And we know that God is love. He loves us. He loved us so much. And he looks to fulfill that love by serving. You are the object of his love. He wants us to partake of the cup and the bread today. How many of you know he wants us to partake because he came to serve us? He wants us to be able to partake as often as you're in need of it. Think of the picture here of how much he wants to serve us even today. How much more he wants you to partake in the communion of the fullness of who he is and what he has accomplished for us. Because he wants to wash your feet again today. He wants to take away the disease and the sickness that we have upon our bodies. You know, in John chapter 13, verses 3 through 8, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he had girded himself. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And I believe this is a critical thing. He was drawing a picture here of how the criticalness of us receiving and allowing him to serve us. If we cannot receive, he was what he's drawing a picture here is that if the disciples could not receive him washing their feet, the whole reason why he came was to serve. If they could not receive that, they could not receive him as their savior. Did he come to serve you? We have to have a revelation that he came to serve us, or otherwise we will never be able to receive. We will always only try to serve. We will only try to serve him, and we cannot serve him unless we understand that we first. There are times when we can only receive. Let me ask you, do you have anything of value that you can give to God? How many of you remember the song that talks about being, what do I have to offer this king? Come on. What do we really have to offer? Filthy rags. It's all as filthy rags before the Lord in comparison. What we have is very, is, is very little. And so what we can do, only, the only thing that's left to do is to simply receive. Receive from him. Receive from him. And in our receiving, what comes out? We love him. We do give. We give our very best. But it's only after we receive that we can then give with a true heart. Of love. Jesus came to serve, but if they could not receive from him washing their feet, they would not receive him as Savior of the world. Catch the very next verse then, the result of this, after he saw this. Verse 9, it says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my head only, but also, I'm sorry, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. In other words, he saw a picture here. He got the idea. If you're going to wash me and you must wash me because I have no part with you unless you wash me, then not just my feet, but my hands and my head also. Completely. 
Every part of me. Remember, communion is a symbol of what has already happened. Communion, when we partake of communion, it is a symbol of what he has already accomplished for us today. It's not anything you can do to achieve it. It's not anything he's accomplishing today. It's already been accomplished. Jesus paid the price for us to walk in the fullness of what he has already accomplished. Jesus finds his fulfillment in giving. Jesus finds his fulfillment. If we can say that without it being taken wrong, Jesus finds his fulfillment in giving to us, in us receiving of what he has given, of what he has done. He loves that. You think of the story of the woman that he met, the woman at the well. When he met the woman at the well, he gave to her. Where were the disciples? They went to town to get food. Why? Because they were all hungry. But Jesus stayed behind, and he met this woman at the well. And after giving to her his life, the life that he gives to every one of us, the life that he gives to us to serve us, he served to that woman water. He said, if you knew the, what I offered, you would, you would not ask of me. You would not, what was it? In other words, you would be receiving from me or asking me for water. He didn't even have a bucket. So the idea here was that he offered more. He said, I give life. I have water that you not know of. So in other words, the picture here, and when they came back, the disciples came back, and they looked at him, and obviously it was noticeable upon his appearance that he looked different. And he said, have you eaten, basically? They asked him, did you eat? Where, what have you? He said, I'm not, he said, I'm not hungry. I've, I've eaten that you do not know of. In other words, when he gave of himself, it gave him life. It fulfilled him. It fulfilled every desire that he had. Jesus, every time when you receive of him, that woman received from him, and it gave him life. It rejuvenated him as if he had eaten a meal. When we receive of Jesus, he it fulfills him. Amen? And so we get a picture here that he desires for us to receive him serving us. Receive from him daily. Don't try to serve yourself, but allow him to serve you. We cannot, we cannot do anything in and of ourselves. We need to learn to receive from Jesus. You know, this is the picture that we need to have on a daily basis. That whenever I get up, I've got to get a rhema word from you, God. I've got to get a new picture of who you are because I know I need to receive because I cannot receive of myself. We must have something in given. We must have received from Jesus. He is the giver of life. And so therefore, we have to have an understanding that we are receiving from him on a daily basis. A desperation that, God, I can't go through another day. I can't go through another day. I, I missed my devotion time this morning, and I feel parched. But I know that if I receive of you, I'm going to have life imparted into me. Come on. That we're going to receive. That we're going to receive. So don't try to serve yourself. Allow him to serve you. Amen? Amen. I'd like for everybody to close your eyes just for a moment. What is your area of need today? What is your area of need today? Where do you need God to serve you? Jesus to serve you. 
He wants to serve you today. What is that area that you need? Is it financial? Is it physical? Is it marital? Is it relational? Is it a career? Is it a ministry? What is it that you need from him today? I want you to tell him, Lord, I need you to minister to me today. I need to receive from you today. I need you to minister your love and your life to me today. Minister your love and your life to me today. Can you receive that? Can you receive what Jesus is offering? Many times it's, it's us. Many times it's us forgiving ourselves for the areas where we've come up short. Jesus says, I don't even know what you're talking about. We bring it back up over and over, and he says, I don't even know what you're talking about. Because he says he washes it as far as the east is from the west. It's washed away. Many times it's us forgiving ourselves for the mistakes we've made. Where do you need him to minister to you? How do you need him to minister to you today? Ask him. Ask him. Amen. We're going to partake of communion today. And I guess, um, why don't we go ahead and release the kids? Okay. I think Trent went back there too, so. We're going to release the kids because I want them to be able to be a part of this. They, I believe that our children are imparted life just as we are. They are imparted the life and the fullness of who Jesus is. We tell our children every time we take communion, we now ask them, what, is the blood, what does the cup represent? What does the cracker represent? And they can tell us. Come on. Two years ago, I couldn't tell you. I could tell you part of it. Forgiveness. Forgiveness, right? But it's so much more than that. Do you have something? Some people say uh, this child is too small to be baptized, or he's too small. They're too young to understand such things. But you know, if God can fill a little two-year-old child with the Holy Ghost, who has the right to say that they cannot be baptized? There was a little two-year-old girl. She received the Holy Ghost. So, you know, I don't think there's an age where that a little child, because I know my, whenever my son and my granddaughter, when they were about three years old, 
they used to sit on the step and play church. One would get up and preach to the other one. And then they would switch places. Mm-hmm. And so who can say? And in church, they would raise their hands mm-hmm. and worship God. So who says there's an age limit That's right. to the little children? Amen. I love that scripture. It says, suffer not the little children to come unto me. I believe that's for us today. At no point do we say, oh, no, you're too young. He said, let them come to me. Let them come to me. It says in Luke, me and my kids did this devotional the other day. It says, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And we were discussing that, and I shared with my kids, I said, you know, it's kind of like this, a little child, if I told Caleb that the sun in the sky, that wasn't the sun, he would believe me. That, you know, that's not the sun, that's not what it's called, it's it's something else, it's, it's you know, whatever. He would believe me because he's a little child and he, believes what I say. I'm his mother. But if I told Lydia or an adult that is not the son, Lydia no has learned, no mom, that's a son, it burns gas, it's actually a star, and it's not even the brightest star. But she would believe you know, she she knows a little more. Caleb believes whatever I say because he has faith like a child. If I say, Caleb, take this communion. It is a tool that God has given us to make us whole, to help us. Because the body represents, the, the cracker represents, blah, you know, he takes it. And that's what he believes in. That, that's his belief. He has no question about it. No question whatsoever. No doubt in his mind because my mommy says it, and I even know the Bible says it. And so he has no question, no doubt. And I just want to challenge us today. As we partake of communion, partake it as a child. It's not saying that if you don't receive as a little child, you won't enter. It's not talking about age there. It's saying receive this because to even grasp and understand the truth of grace and what Jesus did, it takes a childlike faith. Because us as adults, it kind of, you know, it's just too good to be true. But as a child, if I promised Caleb a brand new Lamborghini at 16, him at, you know, the age he is, he would remember that and he would, you know, he would believe me because mommy said. So even as we partake today, I just really feel and it's funny how you brought up the child, you know, as they've come in there. I believe it's a representation. Take it, faith like a child. That even though in our natural mindset, it kind of goes against what we see, what we feel. But Caleb here, the little bitty ones, hey, if mommy says it, if daddy says it, it must be true because we are the world to them. And mommy and daddy would never lie to me. And that's how God wants us to see him. That's right. 
as a child with not no corrupt faith, no corrupt mindsets, that the things that have come against us, but as a child. So today as we partake, partake it as you would see little Lily partaking of it. No strings attached. She just knows, hey, mommy says it's good, so I'm going to take it. Our daddy says it's good. So let's take it with faith like a child. Amen. I'm going to ask Grand Sandy to come and to help serve communion. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. All right, we're going to serve you communion. Would you come on up and uh, you can partake and go back to your seats and then we'll partake of it together. Thank you, Lord God. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Let's sing that again. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fear relieved. How precious is that grace appeared. The hour I first believed. How precious did that grace appear. The hour I first believed. Hallelujah.
Father, we just thank you for your body, Father God, that was broken, that was beaten, that, Father God, by your stripes, we are healed today. And so, Father God, right now, even as we partake of this, Father God, Lord, I thank you that sickness and weakness and disease and death at an early age, Father God, Lord, is broken right now, that you have reversed the curse, Father God, in our lives. Lord, we receive of you, Father God, the fullness of what you have accomplished at the cross for us. We thank you for it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Just receive that. If you're in need of healing in your body, just receive that right now. I just really believe that God is ministering to our bodies even right now. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, we thank you for this cup which represents your blood of the new covenant that you make with us, Father. Lord, I thank you that we are under a new covenant of blessings. The curse is broken, Father God, that Lord, we stand righteous before you today, that all that Jesus partook of our cup of sin, every single drop, that Father God, that we can stand before you today to receive the fullness of what he has accomplished, the new covenant with us today. We stand before you in your presence, and we can speak to you with intimacy, Father. We thank you for, we partake of the new covenant, Father God, that your blood has made way for, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Today, as the Father, I believe he's going to continue to bring new revelations, that this is not a word that you just think of once, but you're going to think of many times. And as it comes back to your mind and your memory and your thoughts, even this week, even today, do not be afraid that there's a purpose for that. There's a purpose for that. That we are reminded of his death and what he has accomplished for us to receive from him. Will you receive from him what he has come to serve? He is a servant who came to serve. He is a servant who came to serve us. Partake of communion in your homes. Take it with you. It's interesting because when you, uh, when you get sick, the doctor will prescribe you a prescription and you'll take it, and it's not just a one pill. Many times it's, it's a repeat every four to six hours, every four to six hours, every four to six hours. Every so many hours, you have to take another dose. Come on. Everybody know? you got to take another dose. I want to encourage you. Many times as we partake of communion, if there's sickness in your body, partake of communion, and then take another dose, and then take another dose. Because every time you partake, you're proclaiming what Jesus has already accomplished. In your body, you're partaking of what he has already accomplished for us at the cross. Amen? Be a blessed people. Have a wonderful day. Is there something more? Okay. Um, and uh, just, I guess you're dismissed in just a moment. <laughs> well, we, we need to pray for Randy. His mom's going to minister. Oh, okay, okay. There's special prayer. If you have any need that you want special prayer for, we'll be up here in the front, and we'll be glad to pray for you. You're dismissed. Have a blessed day.